Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast, where each week Pastor Anar Ram and Elder Roger Prather will be diving into the weekly lesson from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The congregation at the College Church has made it their motto to love, grow, and serve. We really want to learn to love more, grow more, and serve more. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can learn to better serve our congregation, our local community, and the world. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you are blessed with today's conversation. Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School podcast. We are going through the Sabbath School lesson for the book of Ephesians for the third quarter. And today we're looking at lesson number two, God's grand Christ-centered plan. It's for the lesson for July 1 through 7. And again, I'm Pastor Aram, and today we have two uh, guests, permanent guests. We're all guests, aren't we? We're all (laughs) guests. So, and uh, on my right here is... Oh, that's me, Roger Prather, hello. His first name is That's Me. (laughs) <laughs> but we all know Roger, and, and t- today we've been blessed to have with us... Uh, Tom Bloom, a uh, history teacher at South Lancaster Academy. All righty, sounds good. And and I've known Tom and his family for years, and a wonderful family, wonderful family. And and uh, uh, for those who may be listening to this podcast, we are recording from South Lancaster, Massachusetts, right across the street from the shuttered Atlantic Union College that uh, we hope will have a new second life. But uh, down the road from maybe not even a half a mile, probably about a quarter mile from South Lancaster Academy, which is doing very well. It's vibrant and good, healthy student body and and, uh, wonderful things happening. So I wish that could have cross-pollinated over to the AUC campus, but that's another story for another day. So before we begin... We always like to have a word of prayer, and I want to thank you, our listeners, for allowing us to be part of your lives. We hope and we really pray that this will be a blessing to you as we journey through the book of Ephesians together. So, Tom, would you have prayer for us as we start? Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this ability to gather and the electronics that we have in order to record our voices as we invite your spirit here, as we open the words of your books and let us know what you would have us. Father, help this discussion and this Bible search to be a blessing for those that hear it. Father, help it to bless us. Father, make it so that it's your words, not ours. Mm -hmm. We thank you for this church and we thank you for this community and we thank you for your son and we can't wait to go home in Mm -hmm. thy name. Amen. 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 So um, before we look at our memory text, I just I've neglected an invisible voice we need to acknowledge, and her name is Megan Jones. So she is the one who has been starting this ministry, edits this, uploads it to all the platforms, including Spotify. So, Megan, thank you. So the memory text is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, that's a powerful text. Blessed us uh, with uh, 
in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So let's keep that in mind as we uh, take a look here at the first chapter of Ephesians. And I think we can kind of skim over the first part here, verses 1 through 3. Basically, it's the salutation. Paul's writing this and to the church at Ephesus. And uh, let's just take a minute here. It, since this is so key to our lesson, uh, let me, let's read this. And uh, it says here, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. This is from the New Living Translation. Even before he made the world, we got to let that hang there for a moment. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saved you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he has promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. There's a Tom Rogers, a lot to discuss here. And, and overall, I mean, this is like one of those gold mine texts that you just say, we could sit here for a week talking about this dissecting each word, just marinating in the grace and the glory of it and the kindness of God and, and how it impacts our minds and our, and our hearts. So any thoughts here as we have read this and uh, what leaps off the page here? Well, for me, having a different translation yes. of the Bible that I was following along from yours, your your translation uh, chooses this word and changes it into uh, chose beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, my Bible uh, uses in the I'm in the New King James version yep. and in the original King James, I believe. Yeah, um, uses the word predestination. Yeah, um, this is a word that we in Adventism um, have 
some concerns about. Yep. Um, but it seems here, at least in the memory text that we talked about, it mentions it at least twice, that mm-hmm. God has chosen us before time to be in his presence. Yep. Um, which I think puts a whole different viewpoint onto the word predestination. Um, I mean, I remember growing up as a, as a young child and hearing about predestination and, um, you know, how, what a bad idea it was because if you were preordained or predestined to, to do anything in your life, and if you really believe that, that you could just go through your life and sin and it didn't matter because you were predestined and it was all forgiven anyway, so... You know, and all the the stuff that was surrounding it, but to read it in this text really changes kind of the the idea. Hmm. I mean, if God blesses us free, with free will, and we firmly believe that He does, then the idea of predestination, from God's point of view, is of course He's going to choose us. He wants us. We're His children, and yep. so He wants us to be a part of His, a part of His. Um, his world. Yep. So he chooses that. But because we have free will, we can push off God's choice even, yep. which is a whole scary thing all by itself when you really think about it. Yep. Um, but we have that ability to say, yes, I know that you've preordained me to be in your presence, but I can choose not to be, yep. which is a terrible thing. But I also think it's the most beautiful thing that he has chosen. Yep us, even before we were born, even before the foundations of the world. I think that's powerful because how many Christians and even Seventh-day Adventists say, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a toss of the dice so I'm going to be saved or not. Right. And we don't have any assurance. And when we read Ephesians chapter 1, I mean, this is not really my problem. This is God's problem. Mm-hmm. And all I have to do is say yes and mean it from the heart you know it's we're looking at this relationally and and it just it seals the deal yeah you don't even need more evidence than this no we don't it literally says it this is what he intended this is what he intended so your your translation is the only one that has predestination Mine, mine does too this is the holman christian standard bible he predestined us to be adopted through jesus christ for himself according to his favor and will hmm to the to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved according to his favor and will so you know i tell people all the time when i get into we get into discussions about this um they say well there's no such thing as there's no such thing as predestination and the fact is like your argument's not with me it's Mm -hmm. with the new testament absolutely right god absolutely predestines um the question is do, do we, the thing is, the reason we get into, I would just make it clear that the reason we get into these arguments over predestination is because we're importing another theological system into our discussion, right? right? We assume that to say God predestines means it predest, he predestines in the way that certain Calvinist right. um, uh, theologies, uh, theological systems uh, suppose it. So you have, you know, God meticulous, you know, we're just on a chessboard. We're just chess pieces and God moves us about as he wills. And then you have like double predestination where it's like, well, he predestined some people to live forever and he predestined some people to be damned forever. And he does that to his favor and will to bring glory to himself. Mm -hmm. And we reject that. 
not because God doesn't predestine, but that way of expressing predestination. It's not predestination doesn't mean predetermination. Right. I think that's the distinction that you have to you have to make. Yep. Yeah, and this this verse is here doesn't make it appear as if we that the predestination that God's talking about forces all other options off the table. Okay, when we talk about predestination, the assumption is to Roger's point, the assumption is is that when God predestines us, it means that there are no other options available. No right. matter what you choose, no matter what you do, this is going to be the final outcome, which denies free will in yeah. my in my opinion. And I would say, you know, we can we can draw a lesson from the rebellion of Lucifer. God didn't predestine Lucifer to rebel. Lucifer chose to rebel, and that put him on a certain course that would not allow him to exist within the presence of God. Well, I mean, and, we can go even deeper than that. If the plan of redemption was here before humans fell, and it only was predestination, why even make a plan? Hmm. There was no point. To a plan. Who's to say it's a plan? Oh, so here, here, all right, here. Here's an answer to your question, I think. Sorry to jump in. But, okay, let's put this in the context in Ephesus, right? We're in Ephesians, Paul's in Ephesus. So let's take Ephesus as a standalone document. And I revert back to something I said last week uh, on like the, the sort of like intro to the book of Ephesians. Ephesus was a cosmopolitan city. It was, um, p- paganism was everywhere. Um, it's primary God. I did, I did a little bit of research unintentionally. This kind of like popped up and I read it. Um, but it's primary, uh, devotion was to the goddess Diana and they had some pretty extreme ways of devotion. So like you had like men would castrate themselves, mm. um, and become these sort of like vestal virgins of Diana. Um, there was a lot of like sex magic. Um, sort of rituals involved in the worship of Diana as well. I don't know exactly why. And it was so bad that the philosopher Heraclitus, who um, was a pre-Socratic philosopher, he's the philosopher who said, uh, you never step in the same river twice. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, He actually, he he criticized the um, Ephesian culture because it, it was so debauched. Mm. Um, because they had the, all these like pagan devotions and things like that. And he said it, you know, it, it, it created sort of this chaotic environment. I'm heavily paraphrasing Heraclitus here, but so it's into that context, right? We're, we're talking a few centuries later, more than a few centuries later, um, that Paul's writing into. So when he talks about you were predestined in Christ, mm-hmm. he's talking to a small group of believers in a community where they are an extreme minority. Yeah. And he's trying to bolster their faith, right? And so I think that helps us to answer the question about plan. Who says it's a plan? I know we use the plan of salvation, and we always express it in like, God somehow foresaw that maybe someday someone would screw up, and he had to come up with a way to resolve Mm -hmm. it, right? Well, that gets us into some tricky territory when you get into the definition of who God is and what he is, right? Because right. God's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, blah, 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 blah. Why did God allow it to happen? If he knew it was going to happen, why did he create it anyway? But I think what, and this is where a, 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 a Trinitarian theology becomes important. Jesus is the preexistent son of God. He was always, he was always the, um, the, the, the representative of the Trinity, of the Godhead to the universe, 
right? Mm-hmm. So those in Christ, that's what Paul's saying, those in Christ are predestined to be saved, is everyone who stays loyal to Christ. It's not a plan like, oh, maybe some someday someone might sin. No, that's not what God, I don't think that's what God was saying. He was saying, this is my son, right? He's the ruler of the universe. Mm-hmm. You get to stay in the universe if you're, you know, if you're loyal to the ruler. Right. And I think that, I don't know if that all kind of came full circle the way I expected it to, but what Paul's saying is even in the midst of all this debauchery and chaos that's going on around you, like you know who the real king is, yep. and if you stay loyal to the king, God has already made the decision that those who stay loyal to his, his son, mm-hmm. his king, will be rewarded. Now, now you know, I want to just dig deeper on that a little bit because what does loyalty mean? Because if I'm driving down the road and I suddenly have road rage and uh, does that mean I'm being disloyal? What is, because this is where I think we need to look for one moment here, verse four, before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. We need to mention, and one of my favorite Bible verses, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved. And and this holiness doesn't come from me. Right. And somebody pointed this out years ago that, you know, Jesus died for the sins I'm going to commit tomorrow and next week. It's not like a surprise to him. He knows this. And so he has already made a plan for that. A, a, he's compensated. I hate to use that word, compensated, but he's, a, he's adapted for that. And so what does loyalty mean? I think it's a good point. What does that mean? I have an answer, but... No, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. So I think I mentioned this before. I don't know if it was last week, um, but I, I, I've mentioned it a few times. I have a friend, and we were having... He's a, he's a Christian. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist. And we were having a conversation once, and he was sort of struggling. He was like, you know, I'm just not... I'm not he was a Calvinist too, by the way, that might've had some impact on it. But, um, (laughs) and if he's listening, I don't think he is, but if he ever does listen to this, I love you, man. Um, I'm just using you as an example. Uh, you can be a Calvinist. It's cool. I still love you. Uh, but he was like, he was struggling saying, you know, like I'm not improving. I'm not changing. I have these, like these things that I'm still struggling with. And, and I said, you know, like it's the point at which you it's the point at which you no longer recognize that it's a problem. Right. That's when you should be worried, right? And unfortunately, that's usually the point at which you stop worrying because you're not recognizing, right? So it, as long as you're recognizing in yourself that there are things that I could be more faithful in or whatever, then you are being loyal. It's kind of like, um, again, I say this all the time, but I'm sorry, I'm a political scientist with theological background, so forgive me for putting it in political terms, but the Bible's rife with political terminology because you can't talk about the kingdom of God without invoking politics. So what does it mean to be loyal? You know, like mm-hmm. if I commit a crime and the state comes along, the police come and they say like, we, you know, we, we caught you, right? Mm-hmm. You've committed this crime. If I'm a loyal citizen, I recognize the validity of the law that the state's enforcing. Right then I submit to state authority, right? I put my hands behind my back and I do my time or whatever. I accept my punishment. That's kind of like how it works with God's kingdom, right? It's you recognize the legitimate authority of God's law, mm-hmm. right? I submit myself to the laws of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the United States because I recognize them as the legitimate authorities in the territory where I live. 
And so with God, it becomes universal, right? God is God and Christ are the mm-hmm. legitimate authorities universally. And so I submit to their, to their mm-hmm. laws. Well, it's, okay. it's interesting. I do this in my classroom down in uh, South Lancaster Academy all the time. I said, you know, what is heaven? Mm-hmm. From a from a political standpoint, you just moved us into uh, Sunday's lesson. Too. Oh, okay, like a, good. Yeah, you know what is what is heaven from a political perspective? And they're like, what? You know, they I, they get these strange looks on their face, and it's always like, no, well, it's heaven. Like, no, 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 no. If you're going to put heaven in human terms, mm-hmm. what is the political system there? Mm-hmm. Okay, and you always get you know some some wise kid who thinks about it for a little minute, and he goes, well, it's a it's a dictatorship. Hmm. Okay, and I'm like. Well, yeah, you could look at it that way, you know, but what is it, you know, what is it really? It's like, in, in a lot of kids, of course, because we live here in America, and they'll be like, oh, it's a democracy. I'm like, mm, no, no, I don't think it's a democracy, you know. You get, so what is heaven going to be? Well, heaven's actually a theocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, you have religion as the overwhelming mm-hmm pattern and the processes are enforced from a theological point of view. Right. And so when they look at it like that, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. But isn't, you know, there's other countries in the world that are quote unquote run the, the, from yeah, theocracy yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. like, whoa, no, Mr. Bloom, it's not that. <laughs> yeah. Because I think, but it's, it needs to be noted that the king of this theocracy died for each of his subjects. Each of his subjects, and he has the nail prints to prove that. And and really, no king does that. No, usually no. it's the other way around. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You're expendable, so you go out and fight that war. I'm not gonna. Not, I'm not getting my hands dirty. He didn't just. So I would say it's it's a constitutional theocratic monarchy. Oh, okay. So we are getting even deeper now. Yeah, but right. yes, I get the constitutional part because right? God reveals everything. Yep. Right? He says yep. this is how we put it together. The people yep. agree. Um, and it, so that makes it sort of Republican. You have a division of powers. You have angelic beings. And that's where Sunday's lesson kind of takes us. We have, you have angelic Roger, beings. You have humans. You got to add the word Christocentric. <laughs> well, I'm getting there. Constitutional Christocentric <laughs> theocracy. I am. I'm getting there. So, but it, it's Christocentric because the the monarch, um, the ruling monarch, uh, in this constitutional theocratic republic, believes his own law so much that he subjected himself to its to its mm. requirements which yep. historically speaking is also odd oh extremely yeah. Yeah. that's that and that's yeah. what makes it not a dictatorship right right yeah so yeah all right but that but again it, that, and that moves us into sunday's lesson because it said you asked basically the question of sunday's lesson mm-hmm. like what is heaven yeah and you know, we could talk about that for a while. You're not. I'm not the boss, though. So. No, no. Well, we're all the boss, but I think, you know, this. Don't lie. I want to. I want to mention. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just because I have a title here. <laughs> so, in all seriousness, um, this Bible that I have has a nice overall outline of the Book of Ephesians. The first half focuses on our position in Christ. The second half is our practice on earth. And that's important because it helps us to say this isn't just ivory tower ideas. This is something we put into practice. And we are essentially getting our minds, our hearts prepared to live in this, what did you call it? I, I keep coming up with word. Constitutional, constitutional theocratic monarchy. <laughs> Christocentric 
theocratic monarchy. Well, I'm going to throw a, a, yes. a little bit so, of a wrench into this on top of but, all but of that's, this. But that's the key, and this is where I think we say, well, Jesus says, be in the world but not of the world. And we've, you know, back in the 50s, 60s, we identify, well, here's how you're in the world. You go to movies, you wear this and this kind of clothing. We've gotten a lot more realize, realize that's not what it's about. It's about my attitudes. Are you my brother? Are you my brother in Christ? Do I love you enough to lay down my life for you? Yeah. So that's really where it's at. So... So, like I said, I'm going to throw a little bit of a monkey wrench in here. You were saying, you know, what is heaven? Well, I was thinking, okay, so heaven's a physical place, all right? So that's the first, that's the first reality that we're going to accept is that heaven is a physical place and that we're going to go there, right? However, we're only going to stay there for a limited amount of time, mm-hmm. okay? Heaven isn't the final destination of the redeemed, mm-hmm. okay? So if Ephesians talking about how we act in heaven and then how we act on earth it works both ways simultaneously, okay? Mm-hmm. So where do, where do the redeemed Christians end up after, what is it, a thousand years or mm-hmm. whatever it is? We come back here, yep. Yep. come back here to the earth. To South Lancaster, Massachusetts. Potentially, yeah, right. Potentially. You know, you know couldn't that, wouldn't that be wild? That would be wild. <laughs> yep. Um, to, to see, you know, the new area to like walk down where I live, you know, and say, okay, this is the new, this is the new heaven, the new earth kind of thing. But anyway, I digress. My, my point was, is that if we have a roadmap for believing here in, in heaven from our, from the heaven standpoint, and then here on earth, could that not work at the same time, be a roadmap for us to behave here in the new earth as well? I think, I think that's so. the I think that's the whole point. Yeah. We're yeah. citizens of heaven acting out a mission or a direction or whatever you however you want to put it. Let's well, stick with the political uh analogies, right? We are a, a guy named Gary um not Gary, um Stanley Hauerwas. Mm, yep. Uh wrote a book. I think he had a co-author and I don't remember the co-author's name, but um he wrote a book called Resident Aliens. Mm. And that's basically what, you know, this, this idea, we're resident aliens, we're aliens in this world. The world was created for us, but we're not in control of it. I mean, meaning citizens of heaven. And our job is to be sort of like an advanced guard. Mm-hmm. We're sort of like spies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're living, and I think that really fits with the Ephesians cultural uh, milieu because they're in this really foreign territory. They're in this this territory where nobody really pays attention. Nobody even really knows right. that they, they are subject to this other authority, mm-hmm. right? And they're worshiping all these other gods, primarily one, and they're engaging all these bizarre, what we would consider to be bizarre behaviors, and they're sort of debauched and, 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 and decadent. And here's this small group of Christians trying to say like, hey, um, you guys have lost the plot. Mm-hmm. We're not even sure that you ever had the plot to begin with, but we can show you the way. And you're trying to sort of like draw in. And it's, I think the spy sort of like analogy actually works because what do you do? You try to find one or you target people, right? Oh, this person might be open to it, right? right. There's something in them that yep. shows me that they are going to listen, right? So let's let's start courting that person, right? Mm-hmm. Giving them information, you know, trusting them with what we know. Um, and see what happens. That's kind of like how we are. We, we, we work for a different sort of um, 
realm. And I just, can I just read one thing? Yeah. So I, I went and I got a, this is um, the New Testament Bible's background commentary. And oh, it had wow. something to say um, about the heavenly realms thing. So it says uh, for one, three, it's common says, and this fits right in with the lesson on Sunday. Today, we distinguish between the heavens in a scientific sense, i.e. the outer atmosphere and the rest of the universe, except the earth. And the spiritual place God lives, but in Paul's day, he did not need to make this distinction to communicate to his readers. They divided the heavenly realms differently from the way we do. Almost everyone in the ancient world believed that the heavens had numerous levels, often three or seven, that different spiritual beings, various kinds of angels, demons, mm. stars, etc., lived in different levels and that God or the purest spiritual beings lived in the highest heaven. In much Jewish, Jewish teaching, the spirits of the righteous would live with God there after death. Heavenly realms can thus mean both where God is, as here, and where the angelic powers live, as often in Ephesians. And so that's what Paul's really getting to, is like there's these angelic realms. And we've talked we talked about this in the last uh, quarter uh, with, you know, Revelation yeah. and, and the three angels' yeah. message and the idea that, you know, so many events on earth are being, when we forget this. Our world, we forget it, which is unfortunate as believers, but the world has definitely forgot it that we live in this physical space, but this yep. physical space is being influenced by spiritual entities. Yep. And we, we have to realize that, right. you know, yep. like nefarious spiritual entities influence things on this earth and benevolent spiritual entities influence this things. Have on you this ever earth. thought about what, how you would behave? If the curtain was drawn back mm. and you could see behind the curtain, you know, mm. I mean, I just think of Oz, right? The Wizard of Oz, the, you yep. know, and the curtains pulled aside and you actually get to see, you know, the angels and the demons striving, you yep. know, back and forth over you or mm. over that person standing over there. Yep. You know, how different would you behave if you saw yep. people in actual conflict over you there's a um on that note it just go to youtube type in uh, i think i've shown it here at church i think it's a about a 10 minute video called jesus glasses and it's a story about a man who starts out his work day he's rushed very rushed and very annoyed at inconveniences and he gets to the coffee shop and this man walks up to him and hands him these glasses to wear and he's like, what do I, and he puts them on, and then eventually he can see what everybody's actually dealing with, whether it be addictions or divorce or loneliness, uh, absent parent, and it changes him because he can see them, not just for and as annoyance, like somebody standing in line, taking too long, and, and a kid who cuts in front of his car, you know, he sees their stories. And it's true. But Jesus glasses, I think then that should bring it up. Can I tell you guys a really weird story? Oh, boy. <laughs> no. Is I, this a tie to mute? <laughs> no. You guys are talking about, no, I'm serious. This is dead serious, right? I had a weird dream last night. And this is that's why I say it's weird. I want to tell you this dream. I, I've never dreamt anything like this before. So I had a dream. I think that's why we're talking this and it's weird. I had a dream that I was dreaming. Okay. Never dreamt that. I've never had that in a dream before. I had a dream that I was dreaming and it was a nightmare. And I woke up and there was this sort of demonic thing 
standing next to the bed. And I looked and it, 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 it appeared to be like a toy, like a child's toy. And um, I reached out and I like smacked it across the room because it kind of scared me because I woke up out of this dream. In my dream, I woke up out of a dream and I was looking at this sort of like demonic thing and it was, um, it scared me and I hit it across the room. And then I tried to go back to sleep in my dream. And on the bed with me, the, all these little toys, they were toys, but they were like these evil looking things. And I kept throwing them across the room and throwing them across the room. And at one point I got up out of the bed, I was gonna take everything out of the room and I looked up at the ceiling of the above the bed where I was sleeping. This is all in my dream. And there's a camera and it's watching everything I do. And I, I think I'm gonna get I'm gonna take these things out of the room where I'm sleeping. And I go, I go and I reach down to grab these like demonic looking toys and one of them grabs me and I can't extricate myself. And in my dream, it, oh man, that's crazy. In my dream, I say the Jesus prayer. I don't know if you know what the Jesus prayer is. It's the Eastern Orthodox thing. I just, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the demon let me go and I woke up. That's what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? You're talking about this stuff. Like that's, I don't know. That's weird that I had that dream. You guys are talking about, we're talking about this in the lesson, right? Wow. That there's spiritual entities and they're after all of us, right? Um, and we forget this, right? Yeah. You're trying to do, when you're trying, and I, I say this all the time, we have no reasonable expectation to think that our life is going to be easy when we become Christians. If you're trying to do the right thing, you're going to be, the, mm -hmm. the, these nefarious spiritual entities can do everything they can to stop you. Yeah. And there's only one way out. Yeah. That's powerful. So it, you dream, so it, you, you woke up, but you're still dreaming this dream. I, when I woke up, I actually woke up. You actually physically woke up. But okay. I was really freaked out. Yeah. And I, I didn't go back to sleep for like four hours. It was yeah. crazy. I just laid in bed, like thinking about this dream and just like, you know, trying to figure out like what it means, you know. And then like you guys talking about it, and then we, this conversation, like, oh, maybe that's what it means, you know, that's what, that you, you try to yeah. do good in the world and like you're going to be attacked, expect attacks or something like that. I don't know. Yep. Um, I know that sounds maybe like far out or whatever, but I really no. had that dream last night. And, oh, I believe you. So I do, and it's, it does tie in with our text because in verse seven, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. That purchased our freedom. We understand the imagery of slavery, being able to get out of bondage, and, and who does this? And what is the bondage? that every human being faces, acknowledged or unacknowledged. What is the, what is the bond, what is he purchasing our, us from? Well, I mean, you know, you go back to the beginning and Adam basically gave away the kingship of the earth. Yep. Okay, so Satan, you know, the deceiver, the dragon, whatever you want to call him, is basically the owner mm -hmm. of this planet, mm -hmm. okay? And so ownership of this planet descends into, I mean, like you can sit around and you can think about how much sin has permeated us, okay? So I grew up with this idea that sin was this thing that you could, you know, it was in the air and you could just kind of bat it away, right? You know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. And, you know, these things would come at you and you're like, oh, get away from me. All right. But now that I'm an adult, I understand from reading my Bible that I, I am sin incarnate. I was created in sin, I have sin in my very cells, you know, 
because the ownership of this planet is so complete by, by Satan. And so when you think about it, when you think about what God does in the plan of redemption and when he comes down, and I always, it became so much more amazing for me when it says, when he comes and um, what is corruptible will put on him incorruptibility and he changes us in the moment of the blinking of an eye. That's what that really means. He turns us from the thing that we are now. Yeah. In sin, based in sin, everything about us, our very DNA, our very genome has been messed up. Yeah. Okay. By because make no mistake, Satan's a smart person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Super genius. Way smarter than we are. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, and he's had how long to to mess with humanity? Yeah. You know, at at a very basic fundamental level. So when God comes and we're changed in the moment of twinkling of an eye. That's what he's putting right. He's yeah. putting all of that stuff back together. And all of that stuff becomes the way it should have been. And I like what you're sharing there because when I think about what he's purchasing us from, two words, many more pop into my mind, but futility, yeah. hopelessness. Yes. And when you think about it, when we are born, we begin to die. And it's there. Many people wrestle with this in their later years, middle age years, even their teenage years. Well, what's the point of life? Our understanding of this battle that's going on behind the scenes gives us this totally new world perspective. That this there's we may society may say there's just a male uh, homo sapien over there, and is you know sitting in this office. But God doesn't see it like that. He doesn't see it like that. Well, it's uh, it's also it reminds me of uh, that, and I I know I've mentioned this at some point, but the um, temptation of Christ in the wilderness, right? So Satan, one of the temptations, Satan comes to me, says, you know, bow down and worship me, and he makes this claim, and he says, all these kingdoms have been given over to me, right. mm-hmm. and I can do with them what I will. He, that's his temptation. Jesus doesn't contradict him. Satan's not lying. See, this is that thing that that truth with error. Yeah. That he Satan wasn't lying to him when he said, "I control everything you see." Right. All these kingdoms, all these kingdoms. Uh, the socio, sociologist Jacques Ellul, one of my favorites, wrote a book on that. It was it was called "So You Are the Son of God." He wrote a book on the temptations of Jesus, and he spends a lot of time on that. And he says, you know, the conclusion you come from that is every institution on earth on some level uh, relies on demonic mediation for its power and influence. Hmm. That's a scary thought, right? It's a really scary thought. And, um, but we forget that, that again, that supernatural perspective. And I keep, I don't mean to harp on this, but I think it's so important. Paul's writing to a group of a church, a group of Christians in a, in a, in a, an advanced Roman city in present day Turkey. And they are very, very aware of the role of these, again, nefarious spiritual entities all around them. And well, Paul they see is, it every day. Right. You know, all you have to do is go to the temple and you're seeing all sorts of weirdness going on. Right. You know. And it's like that that cliche, you know, right. the, the 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 greatest trick the ever the devil ever pulled was convincing people that he didn't exist. Right. Mm-hmm. I will say we can see the devil exists at the six uh, on the news you know we can just see it now but how do you convince how do we convince 
a completely secularized. No boy. I, that's yeah. And it's not even secularized, right? Like you're seeing a resurgence in occult belief, right? People are very aware of, of, I just read a book on this from the eighties. I found it at the used bookstore at a camp meeting. I mean the used book sale, at the camp meeting, but since, you know, we, there's this resurgence of occult and spiritual beliefs, um, yeah. in spite of our, you know, overly secular, uh, uh culture, and people are, are recognizing the reality of spiritual, um, a spiritual realm, but they're, mm. they're not doing it in a way that's consistent with Christian belief. How do we, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we become the church in Ephesus? Maybe that's the point of studying the that's quarterly, the right? Point. Yeah. That's the go. point. That's the point. And I think that we can, we can draw a little bit of uh, insight and instruction from verse 11, uh, because I don't think we've really taken this to heart, really. Furthermore, Paul says, because we are united with Christ. Check out, he uses past tense. We have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Again, this is New Living Translation, everybody's got a different version, but Ephesians, one thing that strikes me is going back to my favorite text for we for it's by grace we have been saved it's not we will be saved there's an assurance here and we one thing i love it when paul takes the guesswork out of religion oh i love it you know it's and we sometimes you know really are well am i saved well maybe 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 uh, by the grace of god we don't really ever say you know i am saved well i mean i grew up and it was interesting. I know, like, I you know never, what you're going to say. You yeah. never were supposed to say. Never supposed to say. You know we're supposed to say because no. that was hubris and that yep. was presumption and all the rest of that sort of stuff. And I wish if I had known our conversation was going to go this way, I got to dig out, dig it out. In Ellen White's writings where she talks yep. about, you know, glory in your salvation. Yep. Yep. I mean, don't. I mean, you can almost assume that it's true. And that's a wild thought. It is. Because. Because, and I, I feel that this is one of the machinations of the devil. I spent so much time husbanding my salvation. Like, ooh, yeah. like, ooh I got to, you know, I got to yeah. keep it. I spent so much time doing that that I am never comfortable enough to go out and try to get somebody else. Ooh, wow. And so, hmm. so he's kept me in my own little shell mm. of making sure I'm saved. Yep. Right, and because he's got me so worried about that all the time. Well, you know, if I go and I, I accidentally kick my cat when I go home, that's it. I'm I'm backsliding and I'm not saved anymore. Right, yeah. and so I've got to be super concerned about that all the time. So if I see somebody in need, I can, I, I don't have time for you because I'm so busy taking care of my own salvation. Oh yeah, I remember hearing there's a there there is a, boys. <sighs> I've been searching for this for years. I've listened to a book on tape about, or CD, and the man, he was Jewish, and he says there's a term, Jewish term for that, because they wrestle with it too, that you're so obsessed with your own salvation, and I've been searching for it, but that's a common dilemma. The other, add the twist to it is, well, be careful of the friends you choose, because they could be a bad influence on you, and you could they could pull you the wrong direction. Right. So you have these forces keeping us from biting our nails. We're sitting in the corner biting our nails. Are we going to be saved or not after all this? And Paul says, so clear, yeah. we've got the inheritance. 
Okay, let me go there. All right. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> some, well, no, well, okay, some, some discerning Seventh-day Adventist listener out there somewhere is going to hear what we just said, and they're going to say, how do you square that with the investigative judgment? I asked the question, guys. You have to answer. No. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think we uh, we taught the investigative judgment for a long time uh, in a way that's not true to Scripture. Mm -hmm. um, it was culturally influenced, not scripturally influenced. Correct. But I think that's where a lot of the anxiety. Why? I mean, why? Yeah. Why would you raise a, a group of Christians, a group of Christian children, not to be proud? Not maybe not proud is not the right word, but you know, like to like you said, Ellen White's terms, oh, glory in your salvation. Why would you tell them not to do that? Yeah, I serve the I serve the risen King. Yeah, yeah man. Why wouldn't? Why would you treat? You know, because well, you have to be ready. Yep. And you have to be ready for the day that your name comes up when they're going through. Don't the be books. one of the five virgins or the seven virgins. <laughs> yeah, right, one of right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think we taught it that way. And it's like, you know, we, we've pivoted away from that, I think. We, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Because, you know, when people ask me, like, well, explain the investigative judgment, I say, well, First of all, I don't like that term because then it makes it this like sort of like top secret mm. Seventh Day Adventist doctrine that nobody else has. That's right? a good point. It's the Day no, of Atonement. There, there is judgment. Right. Right. The Bible is very clear. There is judgment, and who's going to get judged? Judgment's good, right? Because if again we go back to the political aspect, right? If you are loyal to the true King, yeah. Right. The King's not going to go and be like, Tom, did you come home from work one day frustrated <laughs> and kick your cat? I'm sorry, you're out. You're out. No, they're going to come and be like, they're going to say, you know, uh, you know, who are you loyal to? Mm -hmm. And you're going to say, you know, that's the thing. Like, you know, like you read, you read a lot of this like literature. I read a lot of like far out stuff and people that do, you know, like spiritual warfare is real. I read a lot of like spiritual warfare literature, not strictly Seventh-day Adventist stuff. And, you know, one of the things like if you go, you know, you, you test, you, you Paul tells us test the spirits, you know, you, you ask the spirit, you know, not maybe not physically. I'm not saying that people have a manifest demons manifest in front of them. But you, you, you say like, what, what is this representative of who, what ultimate loyalty to whom am I ultimately loyal? If I engage in behavior X mm -hmm. or if I do thing G or if I think thing A, where is my ultimate loyalty? That's really where it comes from, you know, like, because these nefarious spiritual forces that I keep mentioning, they're not loyal to Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. They will, they will say, they will, they will recognize the name of Jesus, but they won't, they won't, they're not ultimately loyal to him. They're ultimately right. loyal to themselves, yep. right? We think of like Satan as like this sort of like, well, he is, he's like a sort of antichrist, right? But mm -hmm. like he's controlling all of these other forces. No, all these other forces are very selfish. Right. Right, and that's the thing about like spiritualism and the occult is, you're using these other forces. These these so these these other forces they know that you're using it for selfish purposes, and once they do that, they've got you, because they're selfish too. Yeah, right. It's all there. It's sort of like an every man for himself kind of thing, yep. and and that's what the king the kingdom of 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 heaven, the kingdom of Christ, is the opposite of that. There's like unity and solidarity because we're united in purpose and function. And when we teach the investigative judgment, like it's going to be this Tom Bloom, 
<laughs> right. Actually, it's Bloom, comma Tom. Yes. And, and you know, and you know, it's like your whole life up until that moment, right? You were like this, like soldier of Christ, right? But for whatever reason, that's the day you kicked the cat, right? Yep. Right. right. And they're gonna be like, he kicked his cat today. <laughs> you know, he's out. He's out. You know, and then tomorrow, but then tomorrow, you're like, I mean, what happens after that? Do you go like, oh man, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have kicked my cat. And then like the rest of it, you like the rest of your life, um, you know, you live it like you're good. preordained to not be saved. Yeah. You're predestined. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever. And, and that's, and that's the thing. Yeah. We, we talk, we talk bad about predestination, but the way that we used to teach the investigative judgment was sort of a version mm, of predestination. Yes. Right. Because if your name came up and that was the day you kicked the cat, that was it. I think we just invented like a new, like saying, Kick the cat. Kick the cat theology. But if that's the day you kicked the cat, right? You're now predestined. Yeah. You, you can you can go the rest of your life thinking you're cool. Yeah. I've actually had people who said, and I don't know if it was just tongue in cheek, but they felt like, well, probably my name has come up, and it was probably a bad day, so I'm not even going to try. And and. I want to just bring us back to the lesson here because um, this has been really good discussion, guys. Um, going back to the, the investigative judgment, the Day of Atonement, I don't think I my mind is blank as far as was there ever a time we know the high priest goes in, they have the rope, you know, tied to his ankle. I don't think that ever happened where they actually dragged the priest out. I don't think there was. I think it was a it was of course the most holy day of the year. But I don't think there was a guesswork. I didn't they 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 thought maybe that it could go bad. Well, but okay, it didn't so go we bad. we have to remember this, okay? We have the hindsight, we have the blessing of 2020 hindsight. That's okay? true. Okay. So when you when you truly feared God, and I understand that there's the two meanings of the word fear, okay? Yeah. But the Jews also feared yeah. God. All right, so you walk into the most holy place, and you don't know. Right. Okay, I mean, be put yourself in the disciples' place. Put yourself in Jesus' place. And this is just a subject for another time, probably, but if you're living in a time where failure is a real option, mm-hmm. okay, we, we sit and reread the Bible. Oh, well, of course, he, he, he <coughs> was on the cross, he rose, and, you know, and we're now saved. And it's now a foregone conclusion because it's in the past. Okay. But were there definite times there? I mean, what if Jesus had just been really super hungry that day? And Satan goes, turn the thing into bread. And he goes, well, maybe I'll just do one. Mm. I mean, there was a clear chance of failure there. Okay, let's not misunderstand that God had a chance. But I want to add here, just want to throw this in. There was no guesswork because if the priest goes in there, with the right attitude, he keeps his head down and he goes in with the blood of the lamb. Oh yes, from a ceremonial yeah, perspective, that's right? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yes, yeah. it will just it should, by the grace of God, go according to His plan. Correct. And then he walks out. But I just so it's more of a ceremony. I want to compare it to a coronation of a king, but you know what's going to happen? It's going to be glorious, and there'll be you know this moment when. Charles becomes the king of England, which I never did watch it, but maybe I ought to watch it sometime. Not at 3 o'clock in the morning. No. Not at 3 o'clock in the morning. No, it's not <laughs> worth losing sleep. Um, 
But the point is, you you it's going to happen. Oh yes. And and you know if we follow the the, the what God has told us to do, each each of course is drenched. Each stage is drenched with meaning. But anyway, I interrupted you, Tom. No, so. no, no, no. You're 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 going the right you're going the right direction. Um, it was it was just I don't know. I I have dwelt quite a bit on the possibility of it being a failure, mm-hmm. and where would where would humanity be if God had failed? And I understand that like that's a heretical statement right there. Okay, you can't say that God would have ever failed. Sorry, right. I don't think it's heresy. Well, I mean, but like I said, we have the hindsight of 2020. I mean, the, the of course he didn't fail, so how could you talk about the possibility of him having failed? God's not afraid of hard questions. No, absolutely true. True. So, I mean. Yep. Well, there was, you know, at the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, and, and you know, there's that moment, I think we talked about this before, was Jesus actually separated from God in that moment? And and uh, um, yeah. Well, the answer well, the answer has to be yes. Yeah. At that moment, he's not the high priest, not yet. Right. right. No, that's true. That's he's true. the scapegoat. Uh, he's the he's the goat without blemish. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So. so, but he had to feel what it was like, what all of humanity is dealing right. with right now. Right. which is complete and total separation from, which right. is what sin is. It's a separation. It's not, oh, I kicked my cat, okay? Right. It's actually my separation, my emotional separation from, from Jesus, yeah. okay? And he had to feel that to understand right. what it was. And that's the atonement. See, that's and that's where we get confused, right? Right. And we've kind of gone off, but I think this is an important conversation. We, we like, so, like, you get, like, last generation theology where it's like, well, we have to have the character of Christ. Yeah. Sorry if you believe in that stuff, but no, you don't. That's the point. Christ has the character of Christ. Correct. Thank right? you. We have the character of Christ imputed to us right. because he mm-hmm. felt everything we had we had gone through in a blameless state and now can act as high priest with his own blood. Well, that's Which is were, the point of the book of Hebrews. So when you were saying, you know, the investigative gentleman comes up and he goes, you kicked your cat that day, you're out. Who runs in and goes, whoa, time out, time out. He's one on. of mine, yeah. yeah he's he's on one of mine, he stays with me. Yeah, You know, I don't care. I mean, yes, I do. But I mean, my blood covers him. Right. Yep. And that's so, listen, I'm looking at the time here and we're pushing one hour here, so. We try to keep it below an hour. We want to encourage you to continue study this uh, our lesson here. Um, I hope you've been blessed by our discussion. We focused today primarily on Ephesians chapter one, three through fourteen, which has been the focus of the week. And uh, as you see, we have barely scratched the surface because we really didn't get into verses twelve and thirteen very much, and um, and of course fourteen. But again, we hope you're going to continue to join us in this in this podcast series, and uh, um, we, we're going to wrap up here with a word of prayer. Tom, I mean Tom, I'm looking at Roger. Roger, would you have our closing prayer for us? Absolutely, Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to do this. I pray, Lord, that it be a blessing on anyone who listens. It certainly was a blessing, I think, for the three of us here. Uh, Thank you for having Tom join us today. It's always a pleasure to have a new voice, a new perspective. I pray for all the listeners out there. I pray for our congregation. I pray for this world. The world is a crazy place right now, Lord. Um, 
in, in keeping with the, what we just discussed with the book of Ephesians, we can look out into the world here in our communities, in our regions, in our country, North America, and all around the world, we can see the influence of nefarious evil in our world. And I pray, Lord, that these churches, whatever congregation, you know, the congregations that, 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 that benefit from this, that the individuals that benefit this, that we can be small little shining lights in that, in that uh, period, this period of darkness, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us will be able to do that. I pray for the forgiveness of our sins. And thank you once again, all of these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, my friends. And may God be with you. Um, hope you'll continue on with us with this journey through Ephesians and again if you're in the area come by and see us we're over here at the corner of George Hill and Main Street in South Lancaster and we meet every Sabbath morning 10 a.m. for Bible study and 11:15 for our worship hour so thank you and and God be with you bye-bye if you are looking for a community, have some questions about the discussion, or would like to participate in a live Sabbath School class, please join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. for Sabbath School and 11.15 for our worship service at 337 Main Street, South Lancaster, Massachusetts. This has been a production by the College Church's Communication slash Media Ministry. If you are blessed by this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next week for another lesson and let us all remember to love more, grow more, and serve more.